for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. Well, in the words of one of the most prophetic and popular philosophers in the history of civilization, Ferris Bueller, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you might miss it. And Matt Zimmer, since the Jackrabbits won their national title on Sunday, I mean, I'd say it felt like yesterday, but it feels like a few years ago with, oh, I don't know, uh, Kalen DeBoer being a candidate at Alabama, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, the two greatest football coaches, most would argue, uh, in the history of their levels. <laughs> How's your Jack and Coke? Pretty Ooh. good? Pretty nice and strong there? It's cold medicine. Took the first yeah. sip right yeah. as we flipped yeah. on the mic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Zach Lujan leaves. Uh, Jimmy Rogers may be a candidate at other places. I mean, there's a thousand things going on. But, of course, uh, I want to talk about me and ask about a marital mistake I just may have made this morning. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, it, it, it woke, Gilbert and I woke up. He has a day off. I had this to go to first, so we both got to sleep in. I woke up earlier than he did. Detail doesn't matter. It, we're fine. Everything's going fine. Everything's nice, pleasant. And then, just before I head out the door, he says... Uh, hey, can I borrow a few bucks? I don't have any cash, and our, our daughter has a game tonight, and I need to get in. They only take cash at Viber Curley School. Mm-hmm. First instinct was, I, I did. I looked in my wallet. I've got a couple tens in there. Eh, you know, it was like, first instinct, just give them a ten. There you go. Uh, but I skipped right to the second instinct and started thinking, and I was just kind of like, okay, I got this cash at Kendra's last game, and I got it. I didn't have any cash. I had to go to an ATM at the gas station, and uh, and I did. This is where I got it. So I just said, hey, why don't you just? Um, there's an ATM uh, at the Hurley Bar on the way to the school. Also, what time is the game? It's like at seven o'clock. So he's got like twelve hours to, to get cash to procure yeah. the necessary funds. This was just an idea. But okay, if Jen asked you, "Hey, can I just have a few, just a few bucks cash?" Would you, would you not, would you, would you ask why? Would you suggest like ATMs were invented forty years ago, or would you just give her the damn cash? First of all, let me apologize for the yeah. fact that, like, literally the moment I walked in here, I acquired a cough. Yeah. I didn't have one all morning. That's why I'm drinking Jack and Coke. I'm hoping that maybe it can serve as a little bit of a, a cold medicine, as it has for me in the past many times. Not an indictment on the Gateway Lounge. No, no, no. But, uh, yeah, I don't normally drink whiskey in the middle of the afternoon, but um, here we are. Uh, I mean, if it was 12 hours or 10 hours or 9 hours before the game, I'd probably be like, you're not going to have an opportunity sometime today to... Yeah. Acquire cash. I'd like to think that's what he would say to me. Although I know you guys live in Lennox, it's a little different. We uh, have ATMs. It's also a different. We have banks. Jen's always the one to carry cash in our family. Like I never have cash ever. I rarely do ever. either. Ever. Yeah. And Jen usually, she kind of has is one of those people, and it's a good rule. She has one of those sort of personal rules, like always make sure you have at least twenty bucks cash on your person. I would in, agree with in that. case of emergency. So if anything, I'm the one who usually asks her for cash. When she ever asked me for cash, I was like, you know, I don't have cash. No, I don't. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. How'd, how'd old G-Man take it? Well, <laughs> I 
I don't know if he's going to listen to this or not, but I'll answer honestly. He just he kind of started walking away. Just give me the cash, dickhead. Yeah. He just he he's just like okay when I suggested the ATM and uh-huh. Uh-huh. and then he's okay. And then of course immediately I was like I I, I opened back up the wallet. <laughs> I said nah, never mind. Here's ten bucks. No big deal. You don't need it. it's nothing. And also he just, crisis and, averted. And no, because oh, he, he just goes nope. That's okay. I'll go to the ATM. Five, oh, and he just walks away. Five minutes later, seriously, just take the cat. I'm going to leave it there as I yeah. leave. He's and, and and he's like, nope. <laughs> and I said, just take the cash. He said, no, that's okay. And then I text. I texted him. I was like, just take it. I'm sorry. I, you know, I because I don't want the next time I need cash yeah. out of the blue. I don't want you to deny me cash on the same principle. Which was just a suggestion that... I mean, it's it, kind of like if you're walking out the door, you know, it's like, hey, I don't have any cash. Do you have cash? Sure. But again, if you're asking eight hours before the start of the basketball game, like... Okay, so you're a little bit on my side. But, uh, well, well, that's the that's the side of, like, logic. Right. But the side of marital logic would be just, I guess, just here's the cash. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. Thank you very Sounds much. Sounds like you're in the process of massaging that. I talk to you from the doghouse right now. I do. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I even texted him back and just like, uh, and he just said that, look, sorry, uh, I'm not, I'm leaving the money on the table. <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, that's me. Uh, any, uh, was it was it 15 hours? Well, more than 15 hours both ways to uh, Frisco, Texas of Marital Bliss with you and Jen. Has she accompanied you on the, the road trip? We had a great time. No one and, can uh, go on a road trip unscathed of arguments we really, or I mean, it helped. awkwardness. We had, a, we had a bunch of people with us, so that makes it a little, you know, you in the vehicle? a buffer. Yes. Okay. Uh, my, my sister Katie and her husband Ben and Landon Dirks from the Mitchell Republic all came with us. So we have five people in this big SUV, but it wasn't a real big SUV. So we were really tight, packed really tight. Uh, so we're driving down there, and I can tell everyone's kind of like, well, this is going to be awesome, you know, packed like sardines for 12 hours. But it really wasn't that bad. <clears throat> Easy for me to say. I had the driver's seat all myself the entire time. But no, we made it down in 12. It was a pretty smooth drive. And then uh, <clears throat> coming back was not smooth at all. Um, you know, it was... Raining in Frisco when we got up. Uh, we probably should have left earlier than we did, but, you know, we all wanted to celebrate a little bit Sunday night, not feel like we were rushing out of town, waking up at the butt crack of dawn. So we hit the road about 9 a.m. on Monday. And by the time we got to Oklahoma, it was getting bad. You know, rain was turning into slush and the roads were getting bad. Uh, by the time we got into Kansas, it was starting to get worse. and It was starting to get dark. And that was we, our initial goal. Was like, well, let's make it to Omaha and maybe stay in Omaha. Because if if all things were being, if the weather was normal, we would have got home around nine o'clock and basically missed the national championship game. I started thinking, let's stop somewhere so I can watch this football game. So we ended up stopping in Topeka, which we had made it about six hours. It's a little more than halfway there. Got a hotel. Went down to the hotel bar to watch the Huskies Michigan game. The snow got so heavy in Topeka that the satellite dish in the hotel bar went out. Uh, but my brother-in-law, Ben, had his laptop and a HDMI cord, so he hooked his laptop up to the big screen TV in the hotel bar, got a standing ovation from all the patrons that were wow. there, and everyone bought us drinks because we were only able to keep watching the game because Ben had ESPN Plus on his computer. How many other patrons were there? 
10, 15, okay. something like that. Because I know the pictures you sent out made it look like you had the place to yourselves. Yeah, but. there was. it was a small, like, you know, one of those, like, middle of the lobby hotel bars, you know, that's not even real. There's just a bar where there's tables. and But no, it was fun. It was one of those deals where it kind of make, makes for a nice little travel story, you know. Everyone cozily snuggled up to watch a football game and go to bed and get up the next morning. And the drive <clears throat> Tuesday was actually worse because, you know, it had snowed and everything. And what should be about a five-and-a-half, six-hour drive from Topeka to Sioux Falls took about nine. Uh, it was rough. And the, the last hour was maybe the worst. We got to Vermilion, and it was like I was going 20 miles an hour in Vermilion on 29. So that sucked. But we made it. We're home. The Jacks won. Uh, you know, me and Jen had a great time. Katie and Ben had a great time. It was fun to have Landon along with us. It went great. I would love to do it again sometime. One, one, one of the details here that sticks out to me is, of co- and I'm not surprised by it at all, by it at all, Jim did all the driving yes. both ways. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't put the wheel in anybody else's seat. Was this your vehicle? No, I, we rented a GMC Acadia from. But Mr. Yeah. Al, Mr. Alpha Dog established right away. I'm driving the whole. Did you did you tell the whole group I'm driving both ways the whole uh, way? Ben off. Well, f- renting a car for work, I almost kind of felt like I had to. Um, <clears throat> but even so, Ben and Landon offered to drive a couple of times. I was like, Nah, I got it. I mean, I've made that drive multiple times. Uh, I, I, I almost consider myself like an amateur trucker. I mean, just all the driving I've done over the years, overnights, long hours, long trips. I don't get tired. You know, I don't have to worry about falling asleep at the wheel, anything like that. I'm pretty good through traffic. I've driven in a lot of big major cities. And uh, also, I get car sick really easy when I'm not driving. <clears throat> and also, I don't trust other people to drag me around. So, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was all those factors combined. I, yeah. I think of every fact you just listed, the last one was uh, <laughs> the number one reason why. It's interesting because the other caravan, uh, well, not the other, one of the other caravans of uh, Hus- Husker, gosh, Jackrabbit Media that we know, uh, the Dakota News Now crew. Made it back Sunday night, yeah. There were four of them. And, they, yeah, they decided to rush out of there, which I'm with you. I would, no, come on. We've been working for, we've mm-hmm. been working for four or five days. And we, and had, we had the this hotel game. room reserved for that night. Yeah. yeah, just, come on. But that was a smarter way to get ahead of the storm, although it got, they, they were good up until about Sioux City, and then mm-hmm. it was dicey, but they still got back home. Um, but, you know, I mean, they, I th- oh, they watched the national championship game in the car. You know, mm-hmm. they just took it up, you know, whatever vehicle they had. But Hunty photographer drove the whole way did the same thing mm-hmm. Matt Zimmer mm-hmm. did I mm-hmm. am not trusting any of you other so-and-sos to uh, drive the car I am gonna do this so it's you know what the other people appreciate that I, it, I mean who nobody really there wants to drive t- there were multiple times during the drive where all four other people in the car were asleep yeah and I was like well Enjoy it. Does that does that bother you as the no, driver? No. Okay. No, no one to talk to. I, I, no. I. The other thing is, if I'm driving, I get I get to control the sound, whether it's music or of games or podcasts or whatever. So, yeah. a lot of replacements and Rolling Stones on the way up and back. <laughs> Shocker. And, uh, yeah, and so. any deer tick. There was. Yeah. Oh, of course. All right. So, um, wow, a uh, lot to get to. I'm, I'm a little disappointed there aren't any fun Jen and Matt uh, fighting stories, but can, but good for you. <laughs> it does help when there's other people. Although I would, I, I would. She had a blast. We had a great yeah. time. I mean, she's. I'm really. <laughs> I have to say, I'm really impressed with how quickly Jen has learned football. You know, she didn't really know it when we started 
dating, whatever. She didn't have much of a sports background. And I really, really, I'm sure it looks to people like I'm, you know, this guy that forces my person to, you know, oh, I'm a sports guy. You have, it wasn't like that at all. You know, if anything, I was like, this is my thing. You know, go do your thing. You don't have to be a sports fan. I don't care if you like football or don't like football. You know, you can do your stuff. I can do my stuff. It's fine. But no, she very much just took an interest in in what I do for a living and, <clears throat> you know, having the chance to sort of uh, be along for the ride at times to go to games or watch me work or come with me to stuff. And she does have a journalism background. You know, that's what her degree is in. She takes photos for us sometimes and she wrote a column this week, which is great. Um, but you know, so she, she has kind of been figuring out on the fly and now she's all in. I mean, she's in on the gossip. She was participating in the conversations at the bar about the game and who was going to win and what's going to happen with the coaching staff and who's going where. And, uh, that makes it fun for the two of us to be able to watch the games together, talk about the games together. Um, you know, speculate about certain things. We were up till two in the morning last night just talking about what's going to happen with the Jack's coaching staff with Lujan and this Danny friend coming in and is Jimmy going to go, is Gronowski going to go, all that kind of stuff. And so uh, it, it was really fun for her to meet a lot of the people that she's maybe seen before or heard me talk about, you know, a lot of fans that we ran into at the local. Um, you know, she's met a couple of the players here and there. She came with to the media availability thing. So uh, we had a great time. It was fun. I was glad to have her along. Well, that's awesome. And before we uh, dive more into it, uh, I was here at the next best place to be besides Frisco at the Gateway Lounge on Sunday. Jam-packed. It was an NFL Sunday, which is utterly fucking stupid. I mean, I, I tried to uh, try to use the F word at the right times. <laughs> The college football, ESPN, ABC, whoever decided to have this game on Sunday is fucking stupid. When Saturday was available, right? Yeah. Like there was nothing going on on uh, Saturday. There may have been one NFL game on Saturday but afternoon. College. It would have been the only college game. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, well, I, I, yeah. I mean, it just it got bulldozed by NFL games. Uh-huh. Now, here, of course, at the Gateway, it was mostly Jackrabbit. People, Most of the people here, and this place <clears throat> is full on NFL Sundays because yep. uh, it's a Chiefs bar, but it's, you know, Vikings. It is funny to me that people like yourself yep. and some other people who were back home were talking about that as much because I got a sense that no one who's, like, really close or involved or uh, has a dog in the fight with Montana or South Dakota State really gave a shit about well, that. Well, of course, they were there. They didn't no, care. I don't even mean people that were there. I just mean it's kind of like, for one thing, you know, it, it probably helps that the Vikings are dog shit this year. Nobody gave a fuck about that Vikings game on right. Sunday. Stu Whitney was begging people to engage in his stupid troll tweets on Sunday, <laughs> and no one was paying attention. Um, Montana, I don't know if there is a big NFL, other Broncos fans out there. I, you know, I don't know if they have an NFL interest out there, but guessing they didn't the care. Vi- uh, the Broncos, yeah. Yeah, they didn't care. I mean, I. I didn't feel like that was a big, like if you asked anyone whether they were there or not, if you asked Justin Sell, you know, anyone who who has a, a dog in the fight of wanting more eyeballs on that game, I didn't get a sense that it was like, oh my God, what are we doing? Why aren't we playing on Saturday? It's like, I agree. I think most people agree. Why compete with the NFL when you didn't have to on this particular weekend? But I don't think people really gave a shit. I, I, I get it. And, you know, people here were excited to watch the Jacks and watch the game. It helps that the Vikings were playing an inconsequential game. Um... 
And most of the TV, not most, but at least half the TVs here were the Jackrabbit game. And uh, unlike most NFL Sundays, not every NFL game was available. That's that's probably what they pride themselves on here. There's enough TVs to do it. And there's enough of a fractured uh, interest of, from people either living in Sioux Falls or passing on yeah, through yeah. that... that uh, Cleveland, Cincinnati. There's at least one Browns fan in Sioux Falls. They yeah. they don't get it. They want to come to a place like this, and they're guaranteed to have it, and they couldn't have it. So I know that was. Uh, I, let me just say, I know it was an arrangement nightmare for Jackson and his staff that yeah. he navigated very well, planned out thoroughly, and always has the greatest common denominator in in mind. And it was it was the Jacks. So it was a great atmosphere because it was mostly people here to see the Jacks, even if they were going to look at other NFL games going on. It was it was it was Jackrabbit viewing. Same thing for me. He had uh, I was at the bar at Vikings Lions on one TV just in case you cared. Plus, you had to get here before noon to get a seat. Mm-hmm. So, watched a little Vikings Lions. But here's another really cool thing and then we'll we'll get on with it. Uh, he had on the sound system, which is always very important to me, you know. We know, yes. <laughs> He had the Dakota News Now one-hour pregame show. Cool. So, I mean, this was like, th- we're going all in on the Jackrabbits today. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. And it was so much fun. It was a great game. Uh, but the staff did a terrific job, of, as they always do, of handling big crowds here. Uh, and uh, this is the place to be for the NFL playoffs, especially if you're a Chiefs fan and you don't want to pay for Peacock. Because uh, that's the only way you're going to be able to see the, Ch- the Chiefs game, even if you're not a Chiefs fan, on, on a Saturday night. Come on here, watch it with Chiefs fans or troll Chiefs fans here. Either way, uh, you'll have a great time at the Gateway Lounge. Um, so, I uh, where to begin? Do you want to begin with the game, or do you just want to zip uh, put that in the put that in the back burner right now and go go right to the current events of things are already starting to look different on I that don't staff? Know that I mean, do we need to say a lot about the game? I, I thought no. it was kind of boring. Yes, it was. Um, it was somewhat uneventful. Um, Adam Bach made a play that, you know, I think will go down in Jackrabbit lore, as I wrote. Um, and as Jen shot. Yeah, what a great photo, you know. Yeah. And it's funny, like, she gets a ton of credit for taking that perfect shot, but I'll take some of the credit. She had no idea she got it. She was telling me when I was looking through the, the flash drive or whatever that she had, she's like, you don't even have to look in the first half. I didn't get shit in the first half. I was like, well, let me be the judge of that. <laughs> Fine. I was like, Jen, do you, what? You know, like you got the perfect photo of the best play to play the game. Anyway, um, you know they they dominated the third quarter. They dominated the game. The defense again, nearly a shutout. It's a obviously legendary defense at this point. They won by twenty. They could have won by thirty. Montana had some opportunities early. Did not take advantage of them. Montana, I think, as most of us who tried to sort of handicap this game a little bit, suspected Montana's offense was in no way equipped to compete with the Jacks. Their quarterback getting very good. Their running game is fine, but it's nothing special. The Jacks were just a much, much better personnel grouping their defense versus Montana's offense. I'll give the Montana defense a lot of credit. They played really well. They contained Isaiah Davis far better than I thought they could. I know Mark Gronowski didn't have a great game, but I thought it was more Mark just making uncharacteristic mistakes. That interception was the worst ball I've ever seen him throw. A couple weird decisions. uh, You know, there were some... You know, some calls that went against them. Like I said, give credit to Montana's defense. They kept him in the game. Uh, but that, your tweet at halftime was spot on. It was 7-3, to three and it's like, this game's over. Like, yeah, I know Montana's only within four, but they're, 
you know, the Jacks are playing like ass at halftime, and they're and they're winning. It was they had their obvious. chance. Yeah, they didn't cash in either. Yeah, as far as I recall, that field goal didn't come off either Gronowski's interception. It, it did come okay, off. Okay, fine. They got three points. They got their only three points right. out of a Gronowski right. fifth interception of the entire year. Yep. And then uh, that uh, punt return muff. Maybe it was that. The field goal came off one of those two. Yeah. 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 But uh, they got three points out of that. Forget it. I mean, it's over because yeah. the Jackrabbits are going to regroup at halftime. Uh, we've seen enough of this football game to know who the better team is. Yep. And there's no way that that program with the uh, overused word, but so true here with the culture it has, yep. with Jimmy Rogers as a coach, they're going to button up, tighten the screws, and this game is over. And If there's one takeaway I had, it was sort of – from an SDSU standpoint, if I was an SDSU player, I, I mean, you won the national championship. You don't care how you win. You won. And you did win by 20 points. But I would kind of feel like, man, it would have been fun to win that game 48-3, to you know, 42 to nothing. I think that could have happened, I mean, if the Jacks had played better. Um, you know, and again, Montana can sit here and go, well, we, you know, blew all these opportunities, this, that, and the other. I think the Jacks were clearly, I mean, they're clearly the better team. They won by 20 points, but I think it's pretty Pretty obvious they could have won by a lot more than that. Anything strike you in the post-game celebration and interviews? Observations um, or things guys said? The, the, the only thing that really struck me, Jimmy Rogers was himself. I mean, mm-hmm. he finally smiled, but other than mm-hmm. that, he was Jimmy. He's the equivalent mm-hmm. of Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaiah Davis's emotion that this was his last game. Mm-hmm. To me, that was, uh, of all the post-game I consumed, and every every media outlet had him, and in every case... He was he was tearful, and I know he's a great guy. You know him a lot better than I do, but uh, that was that was the sticking image. Other than that, it was a celebration and reactions you'd expect. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to go talk to Zach Lujan because I knew he was gone. That the Northwestern thing was happening, and I think Zach was trying to make himself scarce for that reason that he didn't want to have to ask, answer questions about that. But I kind of feel like me you and think, Zach are, are sorry to interrupt. Do you think he knew that you knew? Yes, okay. um, <clears throat> I knew all week. You know, I know what Gronowski's going through. I don't know what his decision is, but I made a, a choice this over the last couple of weeks. And if journalism hard-ons want to criticize me for it, they can. I made a choice all week to leave them alone about that, to not ask, you know, what's going on? What's this Northwestern stuff? You know, you're gonna, you know, or to bug Mark about his. You know, these, the guys have a national championship game to prepare for. You know, leave them alone. Stay out of their hair. Ask them that stuff after it's over. And uh, I wanted to go talk to Zach privately. I didn't want to ask him in a, an interview format or a press conference or anything. Plus, I just wanted to tell him, hey, congrats and good luck. And, you know, I've known Zach since he was a, a junior on the football team. He's a starting quarterback. You know, I've seen his rise up to where he's at now. I remember doing an interview with Zach where I asked him about if he wanted to get into coaching. And he was kind of like, eh, I don't know. You know, and, you know, that to me just makes his story all the more... Uh, interesting, compelling. He's a really great dude. I've learned a lot about football from Zach Lujan because he's so candid with me all the time. I'm going to miss that dude, you know, and I'm happy for him. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if, if I was going to necessarily put Mark on the spot because I, know, I can only imagine what he's going through right now. He's got the players or the fans screaming, one more year, one more year. Uh, I'll just say right now, I think Gronowski is going to leave. I think he's going to transfer, whether it's to Northwestern, to follow Zach, or to go somewhere else. You want to check your phone just in case that isn't uh, the, those those things aren't that noise, <laughs> perhaps. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think he's going to go, and I think he should go. Uh, what do you have left to prove or accomplish at the FCS level? You know, three seasons as a starting quarterback, three national championship appearances, probably would be three wins if he hadn't got hurt in the second play of that first one. Um, you know, and, and I don't think as of today, 
Mark is necessarily a given to play in the NFL, to, to get drafted. I think he might feel like I have a better chance of improving my draft stock, my NFL potential, if I go up and prove it at the next level. And even if that wasn't part of the calculus, why wouldn't you want to go play in the Big Ten, experience that level of football, play in those big stadiums, not just once at the beginning of the year, but every single week. Experience that on a, on a whole level, P- potentially compete to be a starting quarterback in the Big Ten, prove that you know, you're not just a great FCS quarterback, you're a great quarterback, period. Uh, I think Zach has earned the right to do that. He deserves it. I haven't even mentioned the NIL money. You know, if he has the potential to <clears throat> get a six-figure uh, deal, however that works, you know, he might not play in the NFL, in which case an NIL deal is his one chance to get paid, to get some money for football. Uh, I think he should go, and I do think he's going to go, but I base that – I have had zero conversations with Mark about it. That's what I think he's going to do. That's what I think he should do. I think he should go with Zach to Northwestern. But at the same time, what's taking so long on this Northwestern Zach Lujan thing? Like, it hasn't been announced yet. We, I've been speculating with some friends of mine. I know some guys in the JFPA that I talk to regularly that did Iowa jump in? You know, are they, are they interested in Zach as offensive coordinator? Um, have any of these other openings? It's weird. Like, I don't think people realize with the attention Lujan's getting, with the attention Jimmy Rogers is getting, and I assure you, Jimmy Rogers is getting attention right now. Um, Nick Saban retiring at Alabama could have trickle-down effects that bring SDSU guys into play. All over the place, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because, and not saying that Jimmy Rogers is going to be the coach of Alabama or the defensive coordinator at Alabama or something, but there there, there can be residual, it it can impact it. Um, I I know we're kind of going all over the place here, but Kalen DeBoer might be the guy at Alabama. Right. Dan Lanning apparently already said no. Yes. Oh no, he's he's very much, he's very much, that ship has sailed. Okay, well if Dan Lanning's not your guy... Wouldn't Kalen be the next one? Uh, Absolutely. Um, Like him or not, Colin Coward's very well plugged in. Knows Uh a lot of NFL GMs and Greg Byrne, and he's a lot of ties to Oregon. Mm -hmm. Greg Byrne, I think, used to be, well, his dad was the athletic director at Oregon. Anyway, he's the Alabama AD, and uh, Coward would not willy-nilly say this, that Greg Byrne, Alabama's AD, has had his eyes on Kalen DeBoer for... At least a couple years. Yeah. Squarely on it. And why, yeah. again, and, and why, and why wouldn't if, you? I don't know if Kalen would leave Washington to go to Alabama right now. Uh, he might not. He doesn't seem, actually, he doesn't seem like the type that would. That doesn't mean I would be surprised if, if he was offered and took the Alabama job. Yeah, of course talks. not. The Seahawks are Of over. course. Yeah. Pete yes. Carroll just retired. Well, He's in Seattle. He yeah. could go coach the Seahawks. Now we're really jumping, but that's fine. But no, that's not a jump, is the it, point. No, like, it could happen. No, I mean, we're jumping around. Oh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many well, things. Well, here's the thing. Like, let's say. Yeah. Kalen is goes to Alabama or goes yeah. to the Seahawks. What does Ryan Grubb do? Does he follow him or does he take over Washington right. after Kalen leaves? Does he go to Alabama if Kalen doesn't? You know all these different things because he was offered right by Nick Saban and then last Ryan year. Grubb has ties to SDSU. Does he call Jimmy Rogers and say, "Come to Alabama mm-hmm. or the Seahawks or wherever, be my defensive coordinator"? Yeah. I heard that Jimmy was a candidate for Minnesota's defensive coordinator just recently, and that it, there was some there's the some Gophers. smoke there. Yeah, yeah. Here's another thing. And now I'm fully speculating, but I'm not blowing smoke here. There's a lot of dots to connect. The Jacks bring in this Danny Friend. I think it's pronounced Friend. I don't know. The, the North Dakota assistant coach. that To replace Zach. To replace Zach. Immediately. Jimmy refused to comment to him about me, but Bubba Schwager, North Dakota's coach, has already confirmed, yes, he's leaving us to go to SDSU. And he's like a lifer at UND. He played there. He coached there. He worked his way up to now associate head coach, offensive coordinator. He's basically the Jimmy Rogers of North Dakota. You know, a guy who went from playing there right up to, yeah. He's supposedly the coach in waiting at North Dakota. Why would he leave North Dakota to come to South Dakota State for 
either the same role or it's being reported it's a lesser role, that Ryan Olsen is going to be the offensive coordinator, the O-line coach currently, and that friend is going to be a quarterback's coach slash co-coordinator slash whatever, whatever. I asked Jimmy, I texted Jimmy, I said, just let's clear this shit up. Like, there's all this reporting out there. Just tell me what's what, and I'll clear the, you know, get everything. He's like, nope, uh, no comment. Okay. Well, <laughs> maybe that, what are, let's say Jimmy were to leave right now mm-hmm. to go be the defensive coordinator at Alabama or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, who would be the, who would you replace Jimmy with as the head coach of South Dakota State? Really, I, I, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, there really Nobody isn't. obvious. There really isn't an obvious. I mean, you could ask Jason Eck to come back, which yeah. he might do. But I suspect Jason would be like, "Hey, man, I'm into it here with Idaho. He just hired Dan Jackson as his D coordinator. <laughs> Thank you. you know, yeah. you know there's all and he that. just got USD's running back. Uh, oh, I didn't see that. Nate Thomas. Uh, yeah, Nate Thomas is off to Idaho. I didn't see that. I didn't yeah. see that. Jay Elson okay. tweeted it. I yep. don't think he would. He would take it. My first thought is, if that were to happen, you almost kind of got to bring Stig back for a year just to. You know, keep the keep the trains running yeah, until you can figure wild. something out. Wouldn't that be wild? Well, maybe it's going to be Danny Friend. Maybe that's why he left North Dakota for what appeared to be a lesser job because he's going to be the head coach. Because Jimmy's potentially either going to leave now or leave in a year or leave in two years. I don't know. I mean, Jimmy's probably going to be pissed off when he hears I'm talking about this, but I'm just connecting dots. This is not wild speculation. We know that you know Jimmy had a chance to be the defensive coordinator at a Power 5 school last year. That partly contributed to Stig retiring and Jimmy getting the head coaching job. He's going to be in high demand. Like, Look what the guy has done. When SDSU first started getting good, they had good offenses and kind of crappy defenses. Now their defense is the best defense in the country. Nine points per game. They were amazing. People want Jimmy, Jimmy Rogers is in high demand. Whether it's to be a defensive coordinator somewhere, eventually a head coach, I'm telling you now, if Jimmy doesn't leave this off season, it's not going to be long. This is going to be an annual dance, yeah, so long exactly, as the Jacks exactly. stay on top or and near that's it. Not a criticism of Jimmy. I want to make very clear. I don't think Jimmy is looking around. I don't think he's a job hopper or anything like that. Obviously, the guy bleeds blue and yellow. People are coming to him, right? And also, the money is going to reach a point where you just can't say no. He makes three hundred thousand dollars. At, as SDSU's head coach. And he's only done that for one year. Last year when he was at D.C., he was making like 98 or something. You know, So the guy isn't even, to put it crudely, he isn't even rich yet. Well, you know what and, I mean? and again, we're all speculating because none of this is reported, nor would ever be by the schools, but that Power 5 school in the Pacific Northwest that wanted him to, you know, with a former Jackrabbit assistant, that's the head coach. That's the other school in Washington that's not Washington. Yeah. Um, it, it, uh, well, I mean... Even at Washington State, which is low-level pay for that level, uh, obviously the Justin Sell and SDSU had to match or better whatever Washington State was going to offer him. Is really no? Uh, so he took no. a pay cut. From Jimmy what he turned down. He would have made more money as a DC out there than he does as the head coach. Of okay, but a lot more, or do they get? Uh, do depends they, on your definition okay. of a lot. But he made a lot. But, but he's making is, a lot more as the head coach than he was as the DC. Yes, and, and yes, he, and, he, and yes. At some but point, again, SDSU can't making, afford him. Ryan Grubb's making two million just mm-hmm. as a coordinator. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ready to offer Jimmy that yet. Yeah, but you know, it's not far away. No, and, and, and by the way, and, and I'll just sidetrack even more. I love all this. I I, I don't know how prevalent. Guys at the FCS level were in making direct leaps from the FCS to Power Five schools and like prestigious Power Five schools five years ago, ten years ago. But uh, things for really, Zach to go from FCS coordinator to Big Ten coordinator, big deal. I mean, this That's stuff is happening deal. so fast. Uh, I mean, the baby steps were, and again, we're I'm, we just know our own backyard. Craig Bold, Wyoming. Chris Kleiman to Kansas State. 
both in, in their cases, successful mm-hmm. to where maybe, and those are smaller, uh, you know, more desolate uh, FBS schools in Wobegon towns. But, I mean, K-State's obviously got a football legacy. And so maybe others in the sport at that uh, Power 5 level took a look around and, and, and just went, Okay, guys win here. They know what the hell they're mm-hmm. doing. Kalen DeBoer, obviously. Oh, I, it, I wrote in my column today that yeah. Kalen DeBoer is part of this equation involving South Dakota State. Hmm. Kalen doesn't have any direct connections to SDSU right. other than sort of grub coming from SDSU to USF. But yeah. I absolutely believe that the success Kalen and Grubb and Chuck Morrell are having at Washington, had at Fresno State all the places beforehand, our impact that that plays a role in Zach Lujan going to Northwestern. Not saying that it like they're like oh well this, but I mean what I'm getting at is everything SDSU does. The credibility for that is just a little bit higher when everyone sees like oh look at these other guys from South Dakota and look what they're doing. Yeah, you know they went from USF NAIA to the national championship game in his second year there. Like it, and then you look at it's all related. Tucker Craft, Dallas Goddard, you know what USD is doing. Uh, all, all these things, you kind of start to notice, like, hey, guess what? People around the country are realizing what you and I have talked about on this podcast how many times this year, that football in South Dakota has gotten really fucking good. Yep. And not just like, oh, the teams here win games. I mean, it's transcending that. What the Jacks are doing, what Stig built that is putting guys into the NFL, that is developing coaching prospects that can move up the Jason X, the Zach Lujans, the Jimmy Rogers, all these guys, players that go on to the NFL, players that come to SDSU as walk-ons that nobody else recruited, and you know they become the Mason McCormicks and the Christian Rosebooms and yeah. those guys. I mean, all of that stuff collectively adds up to where now, if you're Alabama, you're Washington, you're Michigan State, you're whoever, you're Ohio State going after Lincoln Keenholz, like you're starting to recognize, I can trust what is coming out of South Dakota State. They're not using smoke and mirrors down there. They know what they're doing. There's good football down there. Yeah, I trust that Zach Lujan, who's only 28 and has only been a coach for a few years, is ready to be a coordinator in the Big Ten. Right, and, and what's the connector there for Zach Lujan? It's David Braun, who's the Northwestern yeah. head coach. Now, he hit lightning in a bottle by the whole hazing incident and the head coach getting fired. But That's how Jake Dickert got the job at Washington State. Kind of, same thing. Yeah, and but David Braun was hired just before I think this was his first or only second year I think he was no, just after he was NDSU's DC last year there well there you go coming from NDSU Northwestern and again Northwestern is kind of like Wyoming who's not even power five Kansas State who is power five Washington State when you talk about K-State Washington State Northwestern these are kind of lower level power five schools second tier, yeah. more likely to hire coaches from a lower level but still they do and they struck gold I mean David Braun earned the head coaching position and so what does he do because he was just he spent his he played I god I just I wrote it down he played at Winona State yeah uh, Culver Stockton he'd never been at the FBS level let alone a power five until he got to Northwestern and then becomes a head coach right away gets the full-time gig takes him to a bowl and so he so he now knows what he's coached with and competed against at the FCS level, and I'm guessing Zach Luan was at or near the top of his list. And so, of course, an already insider FCS guy is going to go, I know that guy is going to put together an offense that's going to work for us. Braun, by the way, was a defensive guy, so he needs he needs a co-head coach almost on the well, offensive he, side he of the ball. Well, uh, he 
Christian Smith is out there. He's mm. the D-line coach at Northwestern. Yeah. He was SDSU's D-line coach, but coached I'll, with Lujan. It just kind of feels like uh, the Power Five level, particularly the SEC, but the, the Big Ten's been guilty of this as well, has been such an incestual place where you just keep uh, hiring as your, uh, both as your assistants, your coordinators, and your head coaches, Guys who have done nothing but live at the Power Five level. They played Power Five mm-hmm. slash NFL, and mm-hmm. then they coached there. Let's hire the court. Let's let's Rob Peter. Let's you know Georgia will hire Kirby Smart from Alabama's staff and all that kind of stuff. And it, the head coaches are just up and coming coordinators from either that Power Five school or another one. And it feels like um, hey, I don't know where it started, but maybe DeBoer. The, the big ball of wax is not just South Dakota. I think your point about South Dakota is great, but it feels like, and maybe Kalen brings it the most to light now, where athletic directors, people making the hires, are figuring out, wow, mind blow. If if you're a winner, you're a winner. Right. If you're smart, you're smart. Right. And it can translate to and the next level. Part of that is Kalen never... And this is the best thing about Kalen and his rise, and Ryan Grubb and Chuck Morrell, too. Like, I wouldn't blame those guys necessarily. Well, yeah, I would blame them, but I guess I wouldn't be surprised if they were kind of like, you know, can we keep the USF NAIA stuff in the past? I don't want to talk about that. That was small-time bullshit, you know, if they had those kind of egos, you know. But almost any story that you have seen on ESPN or, or the pregame shows, the, the, the soft focus stuff they do, the big long feature stories on The Athletic and everything. like They're doing these stories on what did Kalen do at USF? You know, how many times have we seen quotes from Willie Sanchez and Curtis Riggs and Sid Kordemeyer on ESPN on, in Sports Illustrated, you know? And that's because Kurt, or Curtis and Kalen and Chuck and all those guys have continually said that's where it started, you know? We yeah. didn't get up to the Division One level and go like, oh, the stuff we were doing back at USF, that was caveman shit. Now that we're in big, big, big uh, in Division One, like, now we know how to coach football. No, they've said the opposite. They're saying, we're doing the exact same shit we were doing then. You know, football's football. The, the field's the same size in NAIA as it is in the Pac-12. You know, the, the ball's the same size. The rules are the same. Yeah, you have fat, bigger, faster players, and you play in bigger stadiums, but the stuff we were using there is the stuff we're using now. You, you might have to become familiar with the recruiting territory, and I think that was always part of it, too. Recruiting has just been such a much bigger part of the college football nomenclature and discussion the last 20 years well before NIL and Transfer Portal. It's like, well, we need to keep hiring coaches that have... Uh, that have been recruiting at this level. It's just different here. No, it's not. Um, you can figure it out. And uh, the I, I remember watching Kalen USF back then. Of course, people at Augustana and probably everywhere at the Division Two level were just you know kind of like, okay, that's NAIA. Mm-hmm. They've got that mastered. So what? You know, there mm-hmm. was always kind of questions about the kind of the kind of guys they brought in. Right. NAIA looser. But NAIA was a level playing field. They just kicked everybody's ass at it, mm-hmm. and uh, they're, they're, you know, and it's Sioux Falls, by the way, shouldn't the well the warmer weather schools have the advantage in recruiting? Shouldn't that be the case at all levels? Because mm-hmm. that's where all the football is. Mm-hmm. That's you know, and, and they would anyway. occasionally play teams from the south in the playoffs. Yeah, and there would be you'd they look at their roster. Em. Well, you'd look at the roster of these teams from Oklahoma or Texas or Missouri or wherever. And they'd have tons of D1 transfers, you know, guys that had played for Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Kansas, K-State, stuff like that. And and sometimes you'd even read quotes in their hometown papers like, 
Yeah, they haven't seen, you know, we have SEC speed, SEC speed, you know, wait till they see our athleticism. And sometimes before the game, you walk out on the field and go, geez, the eyeball test, you, you know, those guys look pretty big, they look pretty fast. And not only would USF beat them, they would annihilate them. I mean, destroy them. Yeah. One th I hate to yeah. use this silly cliche, but one team was playing chess and the other team was playing chess. Right. And I always wondered, how, th this is special, right? This has got to be otherworldly special. How would this translate? What if uh, Kalen DeBoer got a job at a big-time school someday? I mean, I, I'm sure you were thinking, he was 35 years old. He, mm -hmm. had, you know, he already had just completely obliterated and mastered one level. And, uh, and now we know. I mean, and... There's a lot of directions we could go with this. We could go back to the Jackrabbits and just, okay, who's gone? Who besides Gronowski is there to worry about coming back? Who's I'd gone? Be I mean, well, <laughs> a lot of, I mean, so many great Especially players. Especially with Lujan leaving. I mean, Lujan knows the roster. He knows things that maybe other teams don't know. Um, Griffin Wildey is the one I'd be worried about. Um, you know, Jimmy and the other coaches have said over and over, like, how did this guy not get... Big Ten offers coming out of high school. I think you and I were thinking the same thing when yeah. we were watching him play at Jefferson. Yeah, yeah. So will Zach try to take him or anyone else? I, you know, I don't know. Um, I, like I said, I think Gronowski's going to go. I think Gronowski should go. I think Chase Mason's ready for his time. Uh, Chase Mason, you know, was potentially going to be the starting center fielder for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. He didn't give that up to come sit on the bench at SDSU. You know, I know he likes it here. He's a great teammate and all those things, but... You know, the guy deserves his chance. It's time, you know. And he, you know, Kalen DeBoer himself offered Chase a scholarship when he was the coach at Fresno State. So it's not like he isn't an FBS talent. Uh, you know, obviously we know who's who's finally graduating. McCormick, Greenfield, the Yankees, Zach Hines, all those guys. They're going to be tough to replace, you know. The Jacks don't necessarily have that beast of a tight end that they've had the last few years. Uh, obviously, there are other candidates to step up. You've got Wildy at receiver. There's going to be other guys. Jack Smith is coming in. Um, you know, uh, Graham Goring is a guy I know they really like. Uh, I think their offensive line is going to be pretty good. Gus Miller, Evan Bernstein are going to be back. Uh, Quentin Christensen, who played a lot this year, is going to be back. You know, the running back the running back room is, is loaded. It's talented with Amar Johnson and Angel Johnson. Um... But, you know, Isaiah Davis was special. He's another level. Are those guys going to be able to replace that? We'll see. There's question marks, but again, this coaching staff, if it stays somewhat consistent, if Jimmy doesn't leave, if Jesse Bobbitt doesn't get plunked away, whatever, you know, that gives me an advantage. And plus, you know, we saw, look how bad they killed everybody this year. I mean, even if the Jacks do take a decided step back next year, they're still going to be a contender. I mean, the FCS, as we've talked about, ad nauseum, is just not as strong as it used to be. I think NDSU is going to be really good next year. They brought in a great coach, and he has done a really good job so far of retaining the players that were maybe contemplating the idea of leaving. Thank you, because we hadn't, we hadn't addressed him yet. I mean, what would you think of the hire? And I guess it doesn't even matter what you thought of the hire, because since a good then... One. Yeah, and the fact that so many players have recommitted, I think, is, is telling. Uh, USD should be good next year. You know, I was just talking to Aiden Bauman. He was down in Frisco, and and he's like, "Yeah, like we're we're going to be in he good was shape." In Frisco. He, he was down there to accept an award for uh, that charity thing that he won. Okay. Um, 
And I, I mentioned this on Twitter today, but God, Aiden Bauman's a good dude. He comes walking into this Jackrabbit bar wearing his Yote stuff, you know, and he stands out like a sore thumb. He's six six, you know, this is a big dude, and and he's got his gorgeous fiance with him, and you could tell he looked really nervous, like, oh my God, you know, I'm what? There's just a sea of blue everywhere, and he saw me. And he kind of almost was like, oh, thank God, a friendly face, you know. And he kind of came right over, and we started talking. And we talked for a good 15, 20 minutes. Jen starts talking to him. She's like, you went to USD? Oh, my God, I went to USD. She had no idea who it was. She's talking to him (laughs) for, like, five minutes. And he's such a nice guy. At no point did he, you know, like, well, yeah, I'm the starting quarterback. You know, he's just talking to her like she's just some random person. And they're talking for five minutes. I finally go, Jen, Jen, Jen. It's like, that's Aiden Bauman. And she's like, Oh, the, the quarterback? He's like, yeah, you know. Oh, my God. You know, and we stood there and talked for a long time. But we talked a little football, and he's like, yeah, like, we had a really good year, and we're bringing a lot of dudes back. Like, we are feeling pretty good going into next year. And We talked a little bit. You know, it was, it was an off-the-record conversation, so I don't want to give away too much, but he's very familiar with what's going on in the Valley, with what's going on with SDSU. Um, you know, he feels good about, about where they're at, and they sh- he should. You know, the Jacks are going to be I – th- I think this year there was a little bit of a sense of – what are we even doing? Who's going to beat them? They're, they're that good. They're that much better than everyone, and that's exactly how it played out. Next year, I'm not saying the Jacks are, are going to you know, come falling back to earth or anything like that, but I think there's a sense that, that they're beatable, you know, that, that the, the, the championship isn't as preordained right. as it was this year. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And that leads us right into our question. Well, I was going to address Bauman, so I guess USD shouldn't worry about him going anywhere. Doesn't sound like it. Doesn't sound like it. I mean, they didn't use him as much as I thought they would this year. They ran the ball a lot, leaned really heavily on their defense. I think there's still a lot of untapped potential with Aiden Bauman. I'm not saying they did anything wrong. I'm not saying Aiden Bauman didn't play well. He did play well. But they kind of used him a little bit more as a game manager than I thought they would. I would like to see him be given a little bit more freedom to to air it out a little bit. We'll see if that happens. Well, that's good. He didn't get beat up. He wasn't thrown in harm's way either with making a bunch of mistakes if it was all on his shoulders and maybe he's developing at the right pace and so here's a fun question along those lines of next year usd sdsu and the fcs this comes from coyote eric via another usd fan so eric wanted to absolve himself from being the person who put both of us on the spot per past discussions and the question is you can't have both the fcs is not what it used to be and is very watered down because many teams have left and moved up. And this SDSU team is an all-time great and would have won the Big Ten West. You can't have both. Now, do you want me to, you know what I'm saying? They think we're talking out of both sides of our mouth and only one can be true. And I'll, yeah, No, hard disagree. Two things can be true. Well, yeah. I, my, my immediate response to Coyote Eric was, and, and again, you, you're much closer and have, we'll have a much um, more... Uh, Profound answer than me, but you can have yes, you can have both. Those two, those two things are both true. Right, the best team in Major League Baseball history could happen to be the same year that the other twenty-nine teams were all horrible. Yes, it's not the Jackrabbits' um, fault. The competition wasn't very good. Right. Um, I, I would say the best. I wrote my column about this the day of the game. Uh, I reached out to the Fargo guys, McFeely and Izzo and Colpack, and asked what they thought. They all were very much like, yeah, this team is right there with them. And if that doesn't convince you, I reached out to Trevor Gebhardt, who played for NDSU, who right. bleeds green During and yellow. During the best years. During their, their abs- best years, yeah. yes. And he was adamant 
that SDSU is right up there with all of them. He did he did say, I should be clear, no one will ever touch our 2013 team. That was the one that went undefeated. They beat Kansas State when they were the reigning Big 12 champions. I remember that. And their closest playoff game that year was 28 points. No one touched them. They like I think something like 10 guys from that team played in the NFL. And he was very diplomatic about it. You can say that Trevor's biased or whatever. He's from Sioux Falls, you yeah. know, and he's a smart guy. He kind of does dabbles in some sports media analysis stuff. That's why I reached out to him. And Trevor was very much like, my 2013 team, you know, obviously I'm biased. I was on that team. But to me, that's the number one. And I think most people who are objective agree with that. But he was like, this year's Jack's team, right up there. Top three, top five, they're as good as anybody. And of course they are. Because here's the one thing that maybe separates it a little bit. That 2013 Bison team, 2018 Bison team, they were, you know, back in the quote-unquote normal days. This Jack's team had an advantage, the COVID thing. They had a bunch of 60-year, 23-year-olds that most teams don't have that. That's why they were so fucking good this year. You know, they got all these guys that got an extra year that you usually don't get that all came back for it. These guys are essentially, I don't want to say pros necessarily, but, you know, it it makes a difference to be 23 versus a 19 or 20-year-old. You know, these guys had 70 games of college football experience under their belt. Usually you don't get any more than 50. You know, that makes a difference. So absolutely, SDSU belongs in that discussion. I think using the fact that the FCS overall is watered down a little bit is a worthwhile caveat. You have to throw that in there. Like, this is part of the discussion. This is part of the calculus. But both things can be true. FCS is watered down, but this team is as good as any that we've seen at this level. And you can watch with your eyeballs and just go, that South Dakota State defense, I mean, the Big Ten West had... Almost zero offense. I mean, every yeah. team stunk offensively. There just wasn't a lot of talent or speed. Uh, it, it, the defenses may have all been sound, but it was more. If you watch the games, I'm a Husker fan, so I watched a lot of them. It, it's a bunch of mediocre to slow, non-explosive offense, and the, so that means the Jackrabbits would have been just as good defensively at holding most of the Big West offense, Big Ten West offenses down to where those are competitive games into the fourth quarter, and then you put in the Jackrabbit offense? Are you kidding me? Well, they almost I beat mean, Iowa a couple years ago when... Exactly. But I mean, and they had nothing, they were, Gronowski was still coming back yeah. from injury, Kraft got hurt right in the first quarter, yeah. uh, they, they, Lujan was still figuring out how to be an offensive coordinator, yeah. Iowa's punter did a bunch of freaky shit that, put, you know, if they played that same game today, I would favor the Jacks by 17 points. Exactly, and I Iowa didn't win the Big or did they win the Big Ten West last year too? No, that was Purdue. But I mean, Iowa was right in the hunt. Yeah. Um, a little snicker with Purdue there. Or? Well, just that just shows how shitty the Big Ten exactly. West is. Of course it is. Yeah. And uh, final point on this. Okay, let's consider how watered down the FCS is, and let's think of the best programs that are no longer there. Uh, okay, James, James Madison, Sam Houston State, Kennesaw State. Would SDSU have beaten those teams this year? Yes. Yeah. Yes. They would have they hammered would've. those last two. They yeah. would beat James Madison too. Yeah. I know James Madison went like what eleven and zero or eleven and one or something, yeah. but then they got smoked in their bowl game by right. who? Air Force or somebody? Yeah. yeah. Army. Something. Yeah. Like Jacks would have beat them too. All right. Um, meanwhile, let's go to Washington and Kalen DeBoer in that national title game. Again, that was fairly definitive. If you watched it, there's not a lot to go over there. Um, the the difference was Michigan. 
Michigan has a stellar defense. It disrupted Michael Penix like no one had all year. Penix got hurt, and then he played like shit the rest of the game. Exactly, and he was rattled. He had not been pressured, and uh, he was was feeling uh, footsteps and seeing ghosts. Um, Michigan made it a Michigan-style game, and that was the whole narrative. If Washington could make this a Pac-12 shootout that they were used to winning, great. They'll probably win. If Michigan can make this more of a Big Ten skirmish, they did. They did. Um, and but some side observations. I mean, it was looking like a bleak day for Chuck Morrell and his defense uh, right away when Michigan had a pair of fifty-plus mm-hmm. yard mm-hmm. runs for touchdowns. Like this is going to be uh, an embarrassing mm-hmm. all-time mm-hmm. hammer down. And they made some adjustments. They, they spent, got their feet under themselves. Well, they spent three yeah. quarters and gave up two field goals after those two touchdowns. Three quarters, two field goals. I mean, whatever. So they were making adjustments successfully before halftime. So mm-hmm. I thought Chuck saved his bacon, his own bacon. Um, and then, you know, the final seven minutes was just the Washington offense just couldn't get anything going. Yep. At some point, you knew the dam was I mean, going to I, burst. I, I, I hate when guys bring officiating into it, and I'm certainly not blaming it in the game, but there were some funny calls. You know, Michigan got away with holding the whole game, you know, and, and then Washington got called for a clutch hold, and, you know, Penix missed that wide-open receiver down the field that would have, you know, made a big difference. Um, it was weird how when it was 17-10, to 10, it's like, geez, they're in this, and they've been getting dominated. And that was kind of, that was why I liked Michigan to win the game going in. It's Michigan was a more like, other than Ohio State and a couple other games, like they were a dominant team. Washington was a kind of lucky team throughout the year. They had some close calls. You know, there were some games that they their defense obviously wasn't great. Uh, they barely beat Washington State in their their regular season finale. Um, they were one of those teams. It was a, it, it reminded me a little bit of the FCS matchup, Montana SDSU. SDSU was Michigan, the team that was kind of supposed to be there all along, was dominant, ran the table, and was like, okay, they're where they're supposed to be. Montana was a team that no one had them in the national championship picture before the season. And then at the end of the year, they were winning a bunch of games by the skin of their teeth, winning in overtime, winning, luck. I don't want to say luck or whatever, but, you know, some fortunate wins. Washington had some of those. And those are always tricky because on the one hand, you think, well, eventually their luck's going to run out and they're going to get smoked. Kind of what happened to Montana and kind of what ultimately did happen to Washington in this game. But when it was 17-10, when they were coming back, when Kalen talked about at halftime, like, I feel like we're in a good spot. Our defense has kind of straightened it out a little bit. I think we're going to be okay. Like, you had a little bit of a feeling like, wow, what if Washington won this? They're clearly not the better team. They're getting outplayed, but they could win this. They could steal this thing. You know, well, that's, mean, the, there's the, something to be said for teams that find way. That's why some people liked Montana. They're like, hey, they're just going to find a yeah. way. They're just going to find a way. And Washington did that week after week. None of their last eight or nine games were decided by any less than 10 points. But again, that, that shows you a lot about how Kalen knows how to win. His teams never give up, and they stayed with it for they three keep quarters. Their composure, all those things. Everything, yeah, everything, everything to be proud of. Now, uh, again, uh, Kalen may or may not be the head coach at Alabama when we talk next week. I'd, I'd venture to say uh, he... Now that Lanning has turned it down, he'll be offered. Um, and we don't. It, I would. I would sense that Kalen would rather stay at Washington if they can pay him as much, or just somewhere near what Alabama pays him. Because I believe Kalen is that type of guy. That even though he's bounced around, he's reasonably loyal. He's built something incredible at Washington. He's in the Big Ten. He just made the national title game. You can do it at a high level at Washington. It's only going to get higher level. Mm-hmm. Competition's going to get better. They may lose a few more games. They're not going to be a national. They're not going to be a playoff team every year. But you can you can you can keep it go. You can keep the machine going for years in Seattle. That they pack that place and it, and football's always been a that's always been a football machine and football factory up there. But 
If you really want to win a national championship and you're Kalen DeBoer, really want to, obviously you have a much better chance of doing it at Alabama because the recruiting is going to be so much easier. You're around nothing in the Pacific Northwest. And the NIL and transfer portal thing doesn't neutralize it. It just makes it easier to, should make it easier to win at Alabama or Georgia, even though neither of those teams won this year. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kalen took an Alabama job. I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed at Seattle and turned it down. I mean, so we'll, do, you, do, you have a, do you have a bet on that? An instinct on that? Because I do believe the reports that they want him. Oh, of course. Why and, wouldn't they? And, you know, Curtis Riggs has, has said to us before, he thinks Kalen might want to coach in the NFL he someday. Has. yes. So Seahawks could be in play. Who knows? Um, selfishly, what I would like to see is him stay at Washington for uh, a couple more years. Yeah. And then be the Vikings coach. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. And that, by the way, and maybe he'll hook up with Michael Penix again. Yeah, huh? exactly. So let's yeah. get to that because I know we only have a few more minutes left. A lot of people watched Penix on Monday night against a Michigan defense that has a few more pros on it. And it's like, oh, his stock just dipped. I love what Patrick Royce said uh, after this game. He said, I'm glad he had a bad game because he might just drop to 11 and the right. Vikings won't have to move up to get a right, quarterback. Right, right, Um and I, I would agree. Patrick Mahomes had a terrible final game at Texas Tech. No one remembers that. So yeah, what? Yeah. I mean, um, it, you know, it should worry you a little bit if you're a Vikings fan or you're a Michael Penix fan. But uh, for, I'll, I'll go to the Vikings right now, and I think you're with me uh, if we want to skip the whole Kirk Cousins discussion. G- goodbye, right? I got nothing to say about yeah, it. Yeah. They're either going to do it or they're not. Well, I mean, unless they can get him at two years, $50 million. He ain't You've already it. said too much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, say they move on. How, do you like Penix? Is it? Is yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guy's got an absolute cannon for an arm. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was talking, that's accurate. When I was talking to a bunch of uh, uh, USF alums for the column I wrote right before I went down to Frisco, like they were talking about, like Jesus, have you seen this guy throw? Yeah. Like, yeah, they're running the same plays we ran, but uh, <laughs> yeah, a little, they can do a little more things. Like, I think it was Josiah Fenceroy said to me, like, the, uh, the they could stretch the field a little further with Penix than they could with Chad Cavender. Nothing against Cavender, but like this guy's got a little <laughs> bit of a little bit more stank on his throw. Well, I'll know? give you this with the Vikings. Kevin O'Connell is the head coach, and he for for. Uh, big, big, huge feature in the Star Tribune before the Sunday game against Detroit about what went wrong, especially. It, w- it doesn't take a rocket scientist. Um, Kirk Cousins gets hurt, and then they have three guys who are backups and backups for a reason, and they all screwed up in their own various ways. But this is an offense that is amongst the most complicated, playbook-heavy. You have to have a high IQ and be able to be able to process a lot of information, both all off-season, all week during a game, and then during a game and throughout a play. And Kirk Cousins was a, was a fucking human, uh, human robot, a computer. High IQ, pocket passer, more of a statue, but he flourished. He had his best football when Kevin O'Connell was the head coach and play caller. No one would disagree with that. He had his best ever game against the Niners right before he got hurt. And so it seems like Penix, what is Penix? High IQ, accurate pocket passer, great arm, not as good under duress and escaping out of things as uh, other modern-day guys like a Lamar Jackson or a Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. So Penix feels like a fit for Kevin O'Connell if you want to keep having the same kind of quarterback that Kirk Cousins was. Um, Now, Josh Jobs gave you glimpses of how a Vikings offense can potentially be productive or flourish with a guy who has escapability and that Penix is not your guy. But 
you know, I'm not saying he's Kirk Cousins or will be Kirk Cousins right away, but he fits the mold and I think is an exciting proposition. And perhaps, I don't know, it's early. We're well before the combine and a lot of stuff starts moving. But um, whether they have to draft up to get him or not, I like the I like the idea of Penix as the next Vikings QB. Yeah, I do too. Not having really studied or know the other guys that are in the uh, the quarterback draft room. I'd like to see it. Okay. Well, that's fair. And uh, we're done. That's it. Go get Arthur. Enjoy. Maybe we'll have some basketball to talk next week. Probably not. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. Because <laughs> you know how Ron drinks? Yes. Yeah.